Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerdy Latinas Podcast. This is Sabritas, and we're here with my co-host, Short Latina. Oh, let's get nerdy. On our episode today, we will be talking about everyone's favorite artist, Frida Kahlo. Frida was a Mexican painter known for her self-portraits inspired by nature and artifacts of Mexico. To lead us in this discussion, we have Diana. She's a proud Zapoteca, queer Zapoteca, an anthropology major from California State University in Northridge. Welcome, Diana, to Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining. How have you been during yeah. these weird times? Um, you know what? We can only do so much. Um, and we're just trying to, you know, stay safe, go out as little as possible. Um, I know you guys are in Chicago, right? Um, yes. Yes. Um, but here in California, like, things have progressively gotten worse. Um, mm. Because people wear masks and, you know, just be safe. Um, but uh, luckily in my family, everyone's been extra safe. And we're just taking care of each other and our mental health. And, you know, if we go out, you know, we're being safe and social distancing. But, you know, there's nothing much we can do for now. And are you guys closed down again? Is California? Yeah, yeah. So we had reopened like gyms and um, like some malls and uh, like restaurants were starting to to open, um, but then uh, numbers started to rise again, and so they had to reshut a lot more public spaces. So gyms are closed again. Um, malls, indoor malls, are closed. Um, but I still, I mean, I still see like people out and about, you know, like when the quarantine first started, there was absolutely no traffic, which is absolutely unheard of in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, it's almost like we're back to normal. Wow. And yeah, so hopefully people will start taking um, this quarantine seriously and just, you know, just being safe. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, I definitely feel you feel you on that. Um, so Tell us, tell us a little bit more about you. Um, so like you said, I am a indigenous queer woman uh, and I am an educator here in LA. And um, what can I say? I, I am really passionate just about uh, like representation about uh, indigenous women, specifically women who are from Oaxaca and just like Oaxaca in general. Anytime that someone like, mentions Oaxaca or or Oaxacan food or dances or mu- Oaxacan music uh like I am there I'm all about um you know putting people on like Oaxaca and um what it means to be Oaxacan and indigenous um so yeah like that's just a small little uh summary about me right um but that that really is what um like helps me navigate all of my passions like everything that I do really like comes from my love uh, for my culture and for my language and it really like summarizes me as a whole I feel yeah I definitely got that Diana um and to give our listeners a little background of you know um how how we found you basically Mm -hmm. um I was on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time because what else is there to do? Right. <laughs> and, you know, um, I believe it's, it goes by Moni on Twitter. Uh, uh-huh. Monica. Yeah. yeah. Monica. Um, I mean, there are so many amazing 
Twitter handles, by the way, um, mm-hmm. that I should follow, that you guys have so much knowledge. Um, and she had a thread about Frida Kahlo mm-hmm. and just kind of uh, talking about, you know, appropriation and her background. And I am a Mexican woman and I'm, a, a, you know, a fan of, of her art. But mm-hmm. I had to be confronted and be like, wait, this is important. This mm-hmm. is being spoken. There is a reason this is being said on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people's reactions were, you know, negative, like, oh, you don't know. Like, right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, and so I was like, you know, I need to know more about this. I need to, you know, listen to the Zapoteca women, uh, mm-hmm. listen to the indigenous, uh, you know, because this is a real issue. Right. That is not talked about. And so she gave me your handle and I contacted you and I was able to connect with you. And I'm I'm so happy that you said yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I love Monica and, and she is so young, but so passionate and so strong. And she is probably like one of the top people who really is always vocalizing for Indigenous women, for Oaxaca, for herself mm-hmm. and for like our community. Um, and this is this wasn't like the first um, thread on Twitter or like conversation on Twitter that we've had about Frida Kahlo. Mm-hmm. Um, this happens, I want to say, like every like time that someone posts a picture about her, or, or she comes up in the news, or someone does like an uh, art inspiration about Frida Kahlo, you know. And Oaxacan women are constantly reminded of how you know, like she appropriated like uh, a lot of the attire in her art and so we're just reminded of that every time we see an image Mm -hmm. so every time it comes up on twitter or our on our social media we like to remind folks you know like what the truth is and you know just just we just want to give a little bit of insight and educate folks a little bit but like you said a lot of people are really big fans of Frida Kahlo Mm -hmm. and her art and um what she represented but, you know, I think there's always room for improvement and people don't want to uh, confront like their, you know, like their idol maybe being uh, a little bit problematic. And that's okay, right? I think that's okay, like, uh, because you've idolized someone for so long, an artist, and they can do no wrong in your eyes. And so when someone is attacking uh, or, you know, tearing them down or maybe you know holding them finally accountable for something that they may have done wrong it hurts Mm -hmm. and and that's valid but I think like you said it's important to listen to actual Oaxacan women Zapotec women indigenous women who are talking about this from personal experiences and um, just just try to understand and you know google is free for everyone um (laughs) And we can, you can always do your own research and say, well, okay, I can mm-hmm. still love her, but I can also accept the fact that she was problematic and how, you know, what she did was appropriation and um, like go from there and just learn from there. But what we often see, especially on social media and on Twitter, is that indigenous women like Monica, like me, we often get attacked by, by, other Latinos and other Mexicans who are like, no, like Frida Kahlo is, is, is a symbol and she's an idol for us. And, you know, that she could do no wrong, but those yeah. are people who really refuse to, to learn and to grow. And, you know, just to give 
All right. You know, I know that some of our listeners might be like, I'm turning that off. That shit is right, not for me. Right. Um, but, you know, you know, we're not, this is not a hashtag cancel Frida Kahlo podcast. Right, 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 right. And, it, you know, we're not telling you to throw away your mugs and your dolls mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. none of that. But like you said, we, this is such an important topic. And let me just tell you, we did a dive into Google. We're like, let's, mm-hmm get all the information and Sabritas was you know amazing researcher um and she got us all of this these um you know scholarly journals that mm-hmm. confronted us with the facts and I want us to get super nerdy today because we got chisme all the way back to you know pre-revolutionary Mexican war mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is it 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 floored me okay it floored me. So let's start from the beginning. Sabritas, expand a little bit of what you learned from Frida Kahlo to set it up for our listeners. Absolutely. Frida Kahlo was born in 1907. And it's actually said that she changed her birthday to 1910 at the start of the Mexican Revolution, uh, since she played a huge part in building Mexican nationalism. And so she comes from German and Hungarian ancestry and her mother was actually mestiza Mm -hmm. and to give uh, a little more background uh, uh, one of her first pictures to um, involve indigenous indigenous dressings was later on in her career and I want us to go back to to her you know we have to start her birthplace her her origin you know she is a white woman living in Mexico. Her father is German. Her mother is Mestiza, you know, Spanish descent. Um, And so we start there, right, Diana? Uh, Where, you know, a lot of little listeners are like, well, I'm light skinned. I'm not white. What do you Mm -hmm. say to them? I mean, mean, there's, it's so complex and there's so many layers um, to people um, saying I'm not white. I'm Latina, um, but they have to recognize the privilege that that holds being a white passing Latina, being a light-skinned Latina, um, and um, a lot of people just refuse to recognize the privilege that that holds, right? Um, and uh, I think that's where a, we have to, um, how do you say, um like there's lots of layers to that that you have to unpack unpack yeah and i think that stems from like you know way back racism anti-blackness mm-hmm. and i mean so and in my research i'm like i'm looking okay she is you know light complected you know mm-hmm. uh, which is common in mexico you know mm-hmm. it's very common mm-hmm. especially in the city um and you know we're like okay fine but she was born in Mexico, so she's Mexican. Mm-hmm. That does not right. take away from her nationality, right? Her birth. Right, right. And that's and I think that's why so many people love her and 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 claim her as as a as an icon because she was Mexican. She came mm-hmm. from Mexican heritage, right? Um, but I think that only goes to prove that Latinx and and Mexican representation only matters when it's a white passing Latinx or white passing yeah. Mexican, you know, because not until very recently, we don't see um, positive re- representation of indigenous or dark skin folk, right? Yeah. 
um, not until very, very recently, because before, before now, the type of representation that we would have is like the maid uh, or like la india que no sabe nada, right? Like those, those type of the of stereotypes were the ones that we would see. And like, we didn't really um, complain or say anything about it, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it was very hurtful um, mm -hmm. towards those uh, communities. Um, but like I said, that just goes to show that um, positive representation only mattered up until now um, when Latinx, when it was the person being represented, represented was um, white or white passing. Yeah. And, you know, I think you touched on something so important. You know, Frida Kahlo has different meanings to different people. Mm -hmm. To me, it she represented, you know, rebellion mm -hmm. as a, a growing up as a young Latina. She's like rebellious. She did not conform to Eurocentric um, beauty standards, her mm -hmm. bigotes and her unibrow. And I had a unibrow growing up and I was mm -hmm. so ashamed of it. And my mom mm -hmm. was like, you know, she started to be like, ¿Por qué no, you know, plug here, plug there. And then I saw for the girl and it empowered me as a young mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. What did it, I want to ask you guys, Sabritas, what does Frida Kahlo mean to you? Do you want to start, Diana? Um, okay. So um, I remember seeing Frida Kahlo when I was really, really little. And, you know, like many others, I, I really liked her. I really loved her art. I thought it was really strange and different, uh, something that I hadn't seen before. And I remember really loving like the her, that picture that iconic pictures I think that came out in vogue with the braids and the flowers in her hair and the blusa tewana mm -hmm. and um and I remember like searching at a very young age searching for some type of Oaxacan representation in books um and I was in like elementary school and I couldn't find any I couldn't find any but I remember when I saw her picture I was like and it said like um I think this description had like Oaxacan Frida Kahlo in a Oaxacan dress or something like that mm -hmm. and it was probably one of the first times me seeing the word Oaxacan in a book and how old were and, you oh, I, I I have to say I was like um I was in elementary school so I was probably okay. around six or eight um but at the same time, I was like, this is cool, but this woman doesn't really look like me. This woman doesn't really look like my mom or my aunts or my grandma. Like, she doesn't really look like us. Mm -hmm. But I think it's pretty cool that she's she's wearing this Oaxacan dress. And, and um, you know, I, I thought it was so cool. And then when I grew up, uh, when I was in high school, still, I, admi I admired her even more because, like you said, she was a, a symbol of rebellion. I thought it was so cool that she would grow out her hair and she would smoke and she would wear, um, she was a very androgynous woman. And I loved that because there was really nowhere for me to look for that, right? Like, I didn't have any other type of representation except for her. Um, and uh, when I went to college is when I first started having these type of discussions where you know cultural appropriation and and racism and and um, classism and and white passing and all these words 
started to come in, into my brain and in my vocabulary. And I was like, I, I didn't know that all of these things had terms, right? I didn't know that these things existed. Um, and when, and when I, I started reading more, I, I remember having, uh, I think like a Latin American literature class and they dedicated a whole like two to three weeks um, of instruction just on Frida Kahlo. And um, everyone in the class like loved her and admired her. And uh, we watched the movie and we read a lot of her, her poems that she had. And um, people talked about the, their experiences um, going to her house in Mexico, La Casa Azul, I think. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just felt kind of like an outsider for the first time when talking about Frida Kahlo, because I was like, I don't know, like she, she doesn't really do anything for me anymore. Like I know that she, her mom was, uh, was a descendant of Zapotecs, and that's as far as it went. But yeah, you know, like she's not really doing it for me anymore. Um, but being in LA, being surrounded by this huge, huge Latino community, this huge Chicanx community, everyone everyone loves Frida Kahlo everyone has her on their toe everyone has her on their t-shirt <laughs> she's in a, a fashion mug. statement she yes. is a fashion statement she's huge and so I felt almost like like I had mm-hmm. to I like I had to love her because you know like she she's part of the culture like she's part of the cultura and and LA culture really because now we see her um, like different versions of that picture of her with like an LA t-shirt on and her throwing up the the West Coast sign and the LA sign <laughs> you know she's really engraved now and um, we have lots of those um, Latino based Chicano based Mexican based events here in LA we have so many of those and we have so many um, you know art shows and and um some museum like Latino and Mexican based museums that you know plaster her on the on their walls and on their art and every, you can basically find her her face on any on any product here in LA. You want a pillow free to call her, you can find her on a pillow. You want to find her like on a on a on a mug you can find her on a, literally everything. So it was hard for me to come to terms with mm, me not wanting to be represented by Frida Kahlo anymore. Um, and then when I started doing more research on her, I was like, man, this, this doesn't feel right. And I, I didn't know how to put it in words. I didn't really know how to express myself then. Um, but when I found um, like this, this community of within like my culture and people were like, yeah, like Frida Kahlo didn't really do anything for us. Like she didn't really do anything for our culture except wear the blusa and make it famous on Vogue. Like that's all she did. Um, she didn't really do anything for us. And now in this new age where I found Oaxacan Twitter and Oaxacan, mm-hmm. and Oaxacan folks on Instagram, like they felt the same way too. And we were, we now have like the words and the terms and the language to say, you know, she, she doesn't represent us. She basically took this blusa and and just claimed it as her own, claimed some indigeneity and and changed the meaning and uh, made it famous pretty much, right? 
and um like that's that's what Frida Kahlo means to me I know it's, it was a, a pretty long um explanation <laughs> but I feel like it was necessary for me to like start from the beginning to now yeah and I think that's something that in Twitter you know a lot of the people that you receive backlash from don't know that you actually mm-hmm. admire her at some point mm-hmm. just like I I mean like I still do uh but in a different way mm-hmm, <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. in a different way yeah, I mean, um, and like, I mm-hmm. feel like with everything, everything has a a, a good side and a bad side, right? Um, mm-hmm. It just, you know, you have to take everything and, and dissect it and really see like, okay, I can take this positive thing from this book or from this art, from this artist, I can take this positive thing and, and I can see what they did wrong and I can recognize it. And now I can, I have a broader view of who this person was or is and and like the type of impact that they have on certain communities you know and now you have that knowledge and now it's your responsibility to to say okay this is how i want to continue um supporting this person or not supporting this person absolutely and i feel like um kind of just to dissect a little bit more about the certain aspects that she appropriated so you talked about the tejuana dress um, mm-hmm. I know that she also uh, depicted the, resplan- the resplandor, the head garment. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit more or tell our listeners a little bit more about, you know, the meaning behind those, um, the meaning so, behind those things? Yeah, so La Blusa Tehuana, it comes from a matriarchal community in um in a part of Oaxaca called um, El Istmo de Tehuantepec. And in this community, um, this um, this blusa, this Tehuana blusa that comes also with a skirt is literally like the livelihood of these women. These women survive off of their um, the making of these blusas and the making of these dresses. Um, and they're just a symbol of like the matriarch and the beauty that these women have. And I'm I'm from a different part of Oaxaca. Um, so I uh, I don't really have that much background on, on those type of blusas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that, that that's what, for me, and for people who, for some women that I know who are from um, that community, that's what it represents for them. And um, when I see, when I see this blusa, this Tewana blusa and this Tewana dress, it's, it's so much, it holds so much power and it holds so much beauty that it belongs, it belongs to Oaxaca. It belongs to these matriarchal, powerful women. And um, I feel like a lot of people always try to claim it as Mexican, as Latino, when in, real, in reality, it's not. It, it belongs to this community of women that have worked so hard for for it to survive and um you know like this is this is what they use to to live and and survive in uh in their communities mm-hmm. absolutely especially because it's said that Frida Kahlo had mates who were indigenous and that's where she appropriated mm-hmm. those dresses mm-hmm. from I think um this is a good time to take a little break let's take a break We 
are here with Diana dissecting Frida Kahlo's life and her artwork. Um, so Diana, we just talked about Frida Kahlo and her appropriation of indigenous culture. And we mm -hmm. were dissecting a little bit, uh, you know, the certain aspects in her artwork. Mm -hmm. um, should Latina want to take it away? Yes, I want to talk about her identity. Uh, because you can see it in her artwork, right? You can see her duality of, you know, um, being indigenous side or the, you know, lighter skin side. She just, I feel like she had an identity crisis every time she was painting. I don't know if you guys noticed, but, you know, some of our listeners might be, well, she was Mexicana. She can wear whatever garb she wants, right? And you mm -hmm. talked about how insensitive and and hurtful it can be. Um mm -hmm. And I was diving into her schooling and I wanted to understand where she got this idea from, basically. Like, ¿Quién le dijo? Ponte esto. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, there are so many reasons, but I want to give background to her schooling. I, you know, it, it was known that her school promoted in indigenismo. Mm -hmm. um, it was a new sense of Mexican identity, a pride. Um, <clears throat> kind of a, a different mindset against the colonial mindset of, you know, your Eurocentric uh, mm -hmm. perspective. And so um, with that, she created her little group called uh, Cachuchas, mm -hmm. um, in which, you know, she she started to learn about social issues and being involved. And, um, you know, and so I, I wonder if this is in the school, if is when she started to kind of fall in love with the Mexican culture and, and kind of adopted us as her own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that like many of us, I think we go when we go to college or when, when we, you know, branch out of our teen years and we start to do more research and start to understand a little bit better. Um, but I remember when I went to college, um, I had an identity crisis. I was like, okay, am I Latina? Am I Mexican? Am I Chicana? Because I'm LA raised. Uh, my parents are, are the ones who are indigenous. Um, but when I go into my indigenous community, it, am I just indigenous or am I still Latina? What Like what's going on, right? And I think that, like you said, Frida Kahlo, I think went through the same thing. Um, but to really like ping on her identity, um, no one is taking away from her um, Mexican heritage, from her being Mexican, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or from her being a, you know, a symbol for Latinidad. But I think it needs to be understood that just because you are Mexican, um, just because you are a Latina with Mexican roots, um, doesn't mean that you can claim indigeneity. Um, doesn't mean that you can call yourself indigenous, right? And this is something that has been debated for so long. And mm -hmm. again, it, it raises a lot of emotions for, for a lot of people. Um, but I think it's important to know that blood quantum doesn't make you indigenous either because a lot of people like to bring that up, you know, like she was a quarter um, indigenous, so that makes her indigenous, right? Um, but we have to discredit that, and and we ha and we have to understand that um, that doesn't make you indigenous. 
right? And for me, what makes me indigenous is I have indigenous parents. I was raised um, with indigenous practices and traditions and customs. I have an indigenous community, even though I don't live in Oaxaca. Uh, I live here in LA, but our indigenous community is still very um, close and um, very active here in LA. Um, so I can claim my indigeneity. And now I don't, I don't ident identify myself as Latina or, or Mexican sometimes. I always say I'm indigenous. I'm indigenous because it's, it's who I am. And I can claim that because of my family heritage, of the practices that I do now, and because of my community. I belong to a community, right? And none of these things Frida Kahlo had. Like we said, like you said before, her her mom was a mestiza. She had roots, but Frida Kahlo didn't have any indigenous community. I think she only had indigenous maids, you know, and right. those were um, that's where she took her her inspiration from. Like you said, also um, in her schooling, um, this whole like reclaiming indigeneity um, was was happening and i think that's happening now too right i uh in the time that we, we're living i feel like a lot of people want to reclaim and decolonize themselves and that's totally fine that's totally um valid but you have uh, we have to have that understanding that while decolonizing and while reclaiming all of our roots and stuff that doesn't particularly mean that you are indigenous yeah, and that's definitely key. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what the people who who like to say, oh, you know, she was Mexican and she she can wear whatever she wants to a certain extent, because um, our as an indigenous person, if I see an, a person who is obviously not of indigenous descent or part of the indigenous community wearing, um like my my traditional clothing I'm like this is not okay um but they're Mexican and they can wear other other blusas bordadas that are are typically Mexican but they they don't have to wear the the traditional Oaxacan bordados they don't have to um you know there's there's so much that Mexico has to offer and um I feel like we have to, we just have to be knowledgeable of like, where is this coming from? What does this represent? Is it okay for me to wear? Am, am I gonna be offending any community? Am I gonna, is this offensive? Is it okay for me to, to use, you know, it, can I use it as my own? Can I reclaim this? All of these questions have to be taken into consideration, I think, when, um, when dealing with cultural attire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that some people didn't see it as, you know, she's dressing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there is a painting, um, there's multiple paintings where she's hanging dresses. I don't know, Sabritas, if you remember the name of those paintings specifically. Well, there's a few. Uh, so I think the most popular would be Las Dos, the two Fridas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, where she represents both her European and indigenous roots, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's wearing her Tijuana dress. And like you said, it, it, it demonstrates, you know, this complex identity that she's, that it seems like she's trying to navigate. 
Mm -hmm. There's also the painting My Nursemaid. Um, uh, and just to paint a picture in people's minds, it is Frida Kahlo being breastfed by a darker skinned woman. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she's lighter complected. And some people identify this as dehumanizing, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the contrast between skin tones and kind of she's being catered to, right? Right. Um, it's actually said that, that that image is actually uh, a representation of of Chakmul, it's a term of refer to refer to a, a pre-Columbian Mesoamerican like sculpture where okay. it's it's depicting like a reclining figure and its head facing ninety degrees from the front, and so um, I found this very interesting because because it, it's not typically seen within any sort of artwork during this time, and I think mm -hmm. I also have a question just about you know, her incorporation, just thinking about this time period, this is the time of the Mexican Revolution, right? And mm -hmm. the treatment of indigenous people and, you know, the fight indigenous people uh, were going through at this time. Mm -hmm. Do you think this necessarily, I don't want to say benefit because I don't want to accredit her for centuries fighting like mm -hmm. and saying that she was the one who ultimately brought uh you know greater acceptance to the indigenous community in Mexico but mm -hmm. the depictions uh of indigenous aspects definitely brought more awareness um yeah i think i think that in the time period she probably thought it was appropriate right that she was bringing um some representation um in her paintings to this whole revolution that was going on I think she pro she probably did think that you know that mm -hmm. she's she's doing a favor she's doing a favor by painting these these women and and um showing the um this indigenous culture in her paintings I think that's mm -hmm. that's um valid to to say and to think that um you know that's probably her what her train of thought was uh, yeah at that point in time and it's it's really hard to know like what was she was thinking, her intention wearing certain dresses, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's 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 not that we're trying to judge her no, you know, now and cancel her now for her mm -hmm. mistakes in the past, right? It was mm -hmm. a different time. Mm -hmm. I did find this interesting quote uh that Diego was quoted in a fashion notes in a section for from Latin America. Rivera told the interviewer that his wife insistence on wearing traditional Mexican Tijuana dress was evidence of having liberated herself from mimetic dependence on the French and the U.S., and so she, he was basically commenting that, you know, his wife was wearing this dress because you, this was Mexican dress. It was created by by their people, right? By the Mexican mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. It was her way of expressing. However, Paolo mm -hmm. was then gave a verbal account that she she said, you know, I used to dress like a boy with a, my haircut short, pants, boots, and leather jacket. But when I go see Diego, I put on my Tijuana outfit. I have no relation at all with the people. And this is this is actually what she said. That is quoted. Mm -hmm. um, basically, she was saying, I am dressing up for Diego. Mm -hmm. um, she said that she wore this outfit um, because Diego liked to have 
um, his wife to be a public role of mm -hmm. his indigenous partner. Mm -hmm. Diego Diego liked having her having her by his side, looking mm -hmm. indigenous. Yeah, and that that makes complete sense because he when you look at Diego's paintings, who was he painting? Mm -hmm. He was painting mm -hmm. like brown skin folk. He was painting indigenous folk. So how was he going to look having a wife that was light skin, who was white passing? He didn't want that. He wanted her to dress the part. He wanted right. her to dress the part, and she was okay with it. She she was okay because she, like you said, she was like, "This is, I'm Mexican. This was made from Mexican people." In her ignorance, right? Like she, Mexican mm -hmm. people, and it's okay for me to wear it. But when when we talk about you know the like the, these quotes and we really see you know we kind of get an idea of what Diego was thinking and what she was thinking when she was wearing it you could almost sense his manipulative nature right. and controlling mm -hmm. nature the mm -hmm. fact that he liked that she dressed that way and it's almost like he told her to dress that way and we don't exactly know if it's you know what came first mm -hmm. um, but it's an interesting fact that mm -hmm. she said that, you know, when I go see him, I dress up as Tijuana. Mm -hmm. This is a very layered subject and it's massive. It's almost needs it to really be is. It really is. There's so <laughs> many layers to it. It's so complex because when you like, when you can start with, with one, one image like Frida Kahlo, right. And it stems mm -hmm. into so, so much more. And it, it, it's really a difficult conversation to navigate really. And, and a lot of people aren't, really ready to have it or aren't really ready to to hear it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's so uh powerful about her artwork is that it it introduces us to these types of conversations right about identity mm -hmm. about culture about mm -hmm. gender and and so um, I actually, I have a question for you, Diana. So mm -hmm. we're talking about Frida Kahlo and, you know, you've shared with us that you don't feel like she was the appropriate person to represent your indigenous background. Mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. Can you drop some names or some handles of indigenous artists that our nerdy listeners can support? Yes, of course. So um, that that is like my main passion right now and I think it's it started um almost uh when I was when I was in high school when I was 15 and uh, my community started to uh perform in this LA festival or Oaxacan slash LA festival called La Galagueta and this is where we really saw Oaxacan representation represented by actual Oaxacans in mm -hmm. our dresses with our music, with our food, it was a space for us. And I think that's where like this fire for, and this hunger for representation started. And uh, I think that social media really has given me that, that, um, that push and that drive to find more artists, to find more, just people, just people who look like me, people who share stories like, um, like me, who, who have similar experiences. And I'm so grateful that I have, um, you know, like Instagram and Twitter. And um, we have this little community on Twitter that's Oaxacan Twitter. And um, on there, I was able to find these beautiful, beautiful women. And you mentioned her already, um, Monica, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, on Twitter. You can find her on Twitter. Um, and she's very vocal. And she she is so beautiful inside and out and I love that she is so strong 
and her passion um, for her culture and for representation is also very strong and it's there. So uh, I highly suggest following her. Also, um, Reina, uh, I think her handle is Reina Chabeli on Twitter. Um, she has an Etsy shop that you can um, explore and shop. She makes um, stickers and uh, bookmarks and prints based off of uh, Oaxacan-inspired art. And she's really amazing. And also Jessica. Jessica is a scholar. And she has uh, roots in Oaxaca as well. And she also has a collective called Earth Daughters that really focuses on um, helping uh, indigenous communities. Um, and she also has a collective called Piña Sol that um, sells earrings and, and jewelry and stuff like that. But also they, they help com uh, communities as well. So the, I mean, just following those three people, you can find <laughs> you can find threads. You can find more people to follow, and um, yeah, that's I mean, that's just the start, right? Uh, that's Absolutely. just the start to to learning and to expanding your your um your social group and and your knowledge. Absolutely, and I feel like the purpose of this podcast was more so to you know amplify indigenous voices because it's not mm -hmm. it's not like indigenous people don't exist you know mm -hmm. it, it's that their voices aren't recognized or and so right. and so that brings me we're not listening that's the thing exactly. we have not listening <laughs> right i think that um that i a lot of times what happens when when i see um like pictures of mm -hmm. of, of of indigenous people or art of indigenous people i think that uh, a lot of people are uh, see us just as that, like just as pictures or just as characters in movies or images in, in history books, right? We're, we're not really seen as actual people, but we are. Like we're here, we exist, and we, we're complex and, and we're different and our voices and our stories matter. And um, like we deserve to be listened to. Like we're not just, we're not just, pictures to be looked at in a museum or in, in history books yeah and I'm glad you gave us those those handles and we will share them with our listeners because we often see Frida Kahlo's image being sold mm -hmm. right and you know th those are the people that are profiting from her image the Frida mm -hmm. Kahlo Corporation and I I do want to touch on this because it is it's still using your garb it's using your culture and profiting from it right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so just to give our listeners context, in 2005, uh, Frida Kahlo's niece created the corporation, licensed the name after, after Frida Kahlo and makes profit of her, you know, her Frida Kahlo's image. And the reason I point this out is because Frida Kahlo was, <laughs> you know, she, she, she was a, a communist. She had communist ideals. She was against mm -hmm capitalism mm -hmm. and for her niece to you know capitalize on her image is just total irony um and her brand has been sold to google converse sarah zara i'm sorry zara uh so many retailers that have her face on on picture you know pick a picture of her face on on shirts you know daft mm -hmm. punk or all these interesting things and so the reason i bring it up is because 
when we go back, Frida Kahlo wanted to, you know, go against Eurocentric beauty standards, right? Mm -hmm. She wanted to just challenge everything, society in general. And now her image is on a shirt and her unibrow is gone. Mm-hmm. Her upper lip is completely waxed. And so I just find it so interesting that, you know, her niece and the corporations making so much money of of, of the image of Frida Kahlo selling feminism, mm-hmm. selling empowerment, selling mm-hmm. all of these ideals that, you know, we attach to the name Frida Kahlo mm-hmm. when f- feminism should not exclude indigenous women. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it should include everyone. And so, I, you know, I bring this up because there are so many artists that replicate her image. And I think it's important to know the meaning behind those images, right? Yeah. And and I think that's that's why we're having this conversation, right? Like, just we really just need to inform ourselves, like make informative decisions as to like what what she represented and uh what she represents still right because she's mm-hmm. she's not going anywhere she's not going anywhere she's still going to be used her image is still going to be used but um like this this is just just a conversation starter and um like we just like indigenous women want to be listened to when talking about Frida Kahlo right we just want to be taken into consideration and we want folk to know that that she doesn't represent us she may represent other things for other people um you know like you said they're selling her in in different uh points of view and different perspectives now uh, with different ideals um but for us she still represents the the privilege that mestizas and white latinos have uh when wearing like traditional clothing and they get they get famous they get praised and they're called cute and quirky but mm-hmm. when actual indigenous folk wear our traditional clothing we're subjected to oppression you know and she she reaps she's still she's reaping the rewards of wearing the our traditional clothing and she was able to take that and claim it and use it as their own and profit from it and i do i do want to end with with some chisme i found this you know juicy nugget of a chisme so Frida Kahlo, you know, she was well known because of Diego Rivera. That's just the fact, right? Mm-hmm. That's how she became a famous painter in Mexico. And we have to recognize that Frida Kahlo was light complected. She came from a well well off family. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a good education and she married a famous painter. And that's what made her more commonly known in Mexico. Mm-hmm. When there are so many talented Mexican painters, there was amazing painters like Cordelia Uruerta, Emilia Ortiz, Rosario Cabrera, and my favorite, Maria Izquierdo. Now I want to talk about Maria Izquierdo because she herself was also a pupil of Diego Rivera. And this is where it gets interesting. The chisme goes deeper because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to find all these amazing painters during Frida Kahlo's time and trying to understand why they're not a household name, right? Mm-hmm. That's like a big question. It's like, okay, Frida Kahlo is big now. Like, how did it get to that point? Why is Maria Izquierdo and all these amazing painters that are, you know, darker skinned, why are they not as big, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I found that Maria Izquierdo was a pupil of Diego Rivera. She was also a surrealist painter. Similar themes. People Google her paintings. They're beautiful. And they have very similar themes to Frida Kahlo's paintings. Mm-hmm. 
so you know you you find that um she was a single mom she was you know learned about art later in life but she rejected a lot of the ideals that Frida Kahlo had she rejected being part of a feminist group and called them out and you know publicly uh you know refused to be part of these intellectual groups because they said that instead of empowering women they really looked down on them She took an indir- you know, she took an indirect jab at Frida Kahlo's and, and those groups, those intellectual groups, right? Mm-hmm. And she had a commission with the, the Distrito Federal de, de, de Mexico. She was going to do a mural. But when she said this to the feminist group and the intellectuals and said she was not going to be part of them, she lost that commission. And guess who got that commission, you guys? Yeah. Los Tres Grandes, which is Diego Rivera, Jose Orozco, and David Siquero, Siqueiros. Coincidence? I think not. So, and then Diego Rivera, who was her teacher, he said she has promised she's going to go far. She is talented. But after she made that comment, um, basically said she's not good enough. She was ostracized by, yeah. by that whole community. Yes. She After that, she was forgotten. She was pushed aside and she stopped selling her art. Because of that comment and after losing that commission to Diego Rivera. And so you wonder what influenced what, what happened, you know, like so so many assumptions could be made, right, at this Mm -hmm. point. But I think it's important for people to know that a a wonderful painter, Mexican painter, spoke up about, you know, against this group, uh, against Diego Rivera. And Diego Rivera squashed her, her entire career. It wasn't until the 70s that her paintings were reintroduced and rediscovered by the Mexican people. Mm-hmm. And this is just to, to give people context that, you know, Frida Kahlo is not the only amazing Mexican painter. Uh, there's also other wonderful female artists uh, during yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I actually like looked her up right now and <laughs> I honestly had never heard of her like until now. And I am in awe because her art is so similar mm-hmm. to um, Frida's. It but is. She portrays herself, at, you know, like as this brown woman. And mm-hmm. I, I looked up what she looked like and she was. She was a brown woman. And I'm so glad that that mm-hmm. to know, just to know that someone at that point in time, like, was calling some BS out. Like, you know, she was calling Diego's and Frida's bullshit out. She was like, I'm not going to be put into this box that you guys want. I'm going to do my own, I'm going to do my own thing. And they really ostracized her. They made sure that she wasn't as, um, as known or as big as Frida or as Diego. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's some tea. That's some hot from, tea right uh, here. You got it here first. From, and from the 1940s. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is, I think this is just to give like people some, like an itch to, mm-hmm. to research, right? research other amazing art there is more than Frida Kahlo yes she's amazing yes she was talented yes she was Mexican but you know they her appropriation of of the culture Oaxacan culture Zapoteca culture is harmful it is not representing of those women anymore correct yep is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners Diana um well, you know, like I, I want to just reiterate and say that this is just a scratch at the surface. 
with mm-hmm. cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we have left to unpack within our our culture and, and Mexican culture and Mexican society. Um, and I just want to take take a moment and just uh, so that we can think about all the other times, all the other things that have been taken from Oaxaca and indigenous culture, like um, like the movie Coco. You know, mm-hmm. this is uh, also coming up again, and it comes up every single year um, for Dia de los Muertos. Frida Kahlo is um, one of the biggest um, I- icons and, and images that people paint and um, honor for Dia de los Muertos. And there's so much, so, so much that is taken from Oaxacan communities and indigenous communities for that holiday. Um, we also have like the gentrification of mezcal that's happening right now. You know, we have lots of white folk who go to Oaxaca and discover how mezcal is made and how delicious it is and how important it is for our communities. And they come back to the States and they decide that they want to make it their own. Right. Um, and we just, you know, like, let's think about why Oaxaca is was just named the number one place to tour and like the type of impact that's going to make on indigenous communities. Um, so let's just be mindful of, um, you know, like of our, of who we decide to support and um, what it can mean. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's me, como se dice, mi granito de arena for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Diana. Thank you so much, Diana. And, and I, again, emphasizing, you know, what was the intent behind, behind, yeah. you know, behind her artwork, behind mm-hmm. people, you know, going to Oaxaca? What is their intent? And mm-hmm. is it really to serve and empower the community or to abuse yep. and exploit? Exactly. And that's, that's what's important. That is what, what is important. Like the intent and, and just, you know, are you there to harm? Are you there to steal and exploit? Like, what? what is it, you know? Um, but, yeah, the, thank you guys so much for being open to have this, you know, very deep and complex conversation. This, uh, like I said, not everyone is ready for it. Um, and there's so much that we didn't get to touch on, but I think we yeah. we, we scratched <laughs> at the surface and we yeah. started the conversation, which I think is important. Right, because this can start many other conversations, in um, with your listeners and and with people that decide to to support you and, and follow you. Absolutely, and we hope to have you back, Diana. You're oh, yes, 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 <laughs> please. I love you guys. You guys are so much fun, and um, I, I can't Thank wait you. to see what what more content you guys uh, put out. And next time you guys are in um, in LA, like I'm totally up to be your tour guide awesome thank you thank you so much diana Mm -hmm. um is there any uh nonprofit or any i don't know uh fund that our listeners can support financially like money (laughs) yes so i always say that when you learn from uh indigenous women black women uh pay them for their labor you know Pay, pay us for for this conversation so um I uh, would like to plug myself if, if your yeah, listeners absolutely. or your followers learned learned something from me. They can, um, you know, find my my Twitter and my Instagram at Diana La Zapoteca. 
And my Venmo and my PayPal is Waha Queen, so O-A-X-C-A Queen, Q-U-E-E-N. And, um, but I do also want to um, encourage your listeners to follow Earth Daughters. Um, they're probably one of my favorite um, orgs right now to support and follow. They do lots of work with um, the Oaxacan community. And that is um, a collective that Jessica um, on Twitter is a part of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We'll definitely um, put that uh, those handles and those uh, resources for our listeners mm-hmm. uh, so that they can follow and con- contribute uh, because it, it, it means it's not just about taking the knowledge from you, right? Mm-hmm. You do have to give back. You do have to appreciate mm-hmm. that knowledge. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diana, for joining us. Of course. Thank you. We want to thank Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music. You can find their new EP, Amado on Apple Music or Spotify. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us on our next Nerdy Latinas podcast. And today I skipped lunch y tengo un dolor de cabeza que me trae un pinche pepino ahorita bien rápido.